Every snap is an interview. After the snap. What a snap. And keep your mouth shut, 50! I lead by example. With Blake and Reed Ferguson discussing life in, out, and after football. To be able to leave walking away with a degree and a championship, uh, it couldn't be any better. Yeah! Well, you can take this boy out the real south, but you can't take the real south out of my voice. And now here we go again, twist a little bit of teeth because you got big skin. What's up, everybody, and welcome into After the Snap. We are here today, and we have a fantastic interview for you coming up later in the pod. But first, dude, we've got to talk about this whole Antonio Brown thing. Oh, my gosh. Have you ever seen a meltdown like like we witnessed on Sunday? I, ha- I, I'm gonna, I, have, I haven't seen it, but... This is an alley-oop. I have been a part of one. Please explain. First home, first home game, 2018 season, Vontae Davis. We were playing the Chargers at home. It was the second game of the season. And I think the first game, I think we had gotten pounded by the Ravens in Baltimore. It was raining the whole game, disgusting. Come back home. I think at halftime we were, I don't know, maybe down by 10 or 14 points. He left. He said, I'm out. He got under, he got, you know, dressed in his normal clothes, took his jersey off, didn't even shower, just left the stadium and he retired at halftime. So yes, I have been, I have not seen, but I have heard and been a part of this same exact situation. So to answer your question, yes. So the thing about this one that is hilarious to me is it was an away game. That's they the were, first when somebody when I heard about it after in the game, New I York. said, "Where are they in, playing?" They were in Jersey, in New York. Playing, it's not like you could go home. Jets. No, I saw a picture of him after the game, or at some point after he took off his shoulder pads on the sideline and just like did his show going off the field. He was standing outside the locker room, like looking at his phone, and yeah. they said he was just like out there waiting on an Uber. If you're gonna, I mean, do what's he? What, like you're that, not gonna get. You're not gonna. I mean, you're certainly not gonna get on the team bus. If you're gonna do something like that, I feel like, th- like that was partially premeditated. Got like had he, to have been. The crazy part is, though, here's here's some incentives that he was close to reaching. Uh, given there there was, you know, he left with a game and a half of football left in the season, at least, right, of the regular season. I don't know if the I don't know if these incentives go into the playoffs or not, but. Here's here's some incentives. So he needed eight more catches to unlock a three hundred thirty three thousand dollar bonus. Eight catches. Now, mind you, I think Mike Evans was hurt, and Godwin, I think he tore his ACL like two weeks ago. He's out. So AB has to be higher, I guess, on the target list. Gotta be. Uh, so eight more catches unlocks a three hundred thirty three thousand dollar incentive bonus. He needed 55 receiving yards to unlock a $333,000 bonus. And he needed one touchdown, one receiving touchdown to unlock a $333,000 bonus. So, so he basically, eight, eight he basically catches. needed eight catches for 55 yards and a touchdown, touchdown. And he would have gotten an extra million dollars. If there's anything that we learned from his time in Vegas, it's that he doesn't care about money. He doesn't just money means nothing to him because he was yeah. he was on what like a ninety million dollar contract. <laughs> so, with, yeah, I don't know with the Steelers, yeah, something like and that. Then, yeah, and then the Raiders picked it up or something. Yeah. Anyway, that I mean, just if you if you if 
you are listening to this podcast and you have not seen the videos from the Antonio Brown ordeal from Sunday, go check it out because it is. And you see what he did Sunday night? He like went he like to dropped the- a he like linked a rap song on his Instagram. Oh. Maybe it was Monday night. He was like at the Nets game in Brooklyn. Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, like, it was like courtside at the Nets game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing happened. So whatever. Well, crazy. It was a. Uh, it was an interesting week. Uh, Seventeen. Seventeen. We normally the last week of the season. Normally the last week of the but season. We have one more. That was part of the new agreement. Some players like it. Some players don't. But. We traveled up to Nashville. We played in about 35 degrees and spitting rain, which as a long snapper or any human being who... Anybody that touches the football. Yeah. Or just anybody that is outside, that's like not fun. <laughs> we did not win that's the That's called game. December up here in Buffalo. Yep. Going from 82 degrees on... Saturday when we flew up to Nashville to 35 and spitting rain was was different. Uh, we didn't end up winning the game, which that plus the – I think it was like the we needed the Chargers to lose or something. We've officially been eliminated from the playoffs, but we do have one more game this week coming up against the Patriots. And if there's anything that I know about the Patriots-Miami Dolphins rivalry – it's that records don't matter, and it really doesn't matter what you're playing for. That game is always going to be highly contested, and both teams are going to show up to play. I'm looking forward to it. They're coming to town. We will have good weather. should be like in the 70s. Thankful for that. Thankful for not having to go to, to New England week 18. You guys were home? I think we were home. No. Yep. Right? Home against Atlanta. Uh, it was snowing, not hard, but it did snow throughout the game. Uh, so it made the footing, uh, a little tough. Uh, but yeah, we came out with the W, clinched a playoff spot, I think, because Baltimore lost, which I was not aware of until <clears throat> we had gotten into the locker room and some guys were talking about it. I thought, uh, I obviously thought we were, we had to play into next week to clinch a spot in the playoffs, but yeah, it was, um, it was kind of a kind of a weird game, some ups and downs early on. Falcons kicked a field goal to take the lead uh, right before half, and then we came out guns blazing in the second half and uh, came out with the with the victory. Side note: two weeks in a row we have not punted. First time I think uh, since the o four o five Pittsburgh Steelers did it in like week thirteen fourteen or something like some insane. I don't even know before that, but. I mean, it's been, I don't know. I don't know why we practice punt. Why do we practice punt? You say that, you say that, and now you'll punt like six times this week. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, we're definitely going to punt this week. I'm just telling myself that uh, already. So (laughs) you just assume, yeah, you just Just assume assume the worst. But, um, yeah, disappointed. Yeah. I think I was looking at it the other day. I think last season we had maybe 45 punts or something like that. And I think through, the same amount of games this season, I think we're right there at the at at the same roughly the same amount. So pretty amazing with one game to go. We're around the same number, but clinch the playoff spot and then 
this week we're home again uh, against the Jets, playing for the AFC East title. Definitely looking forward to Sunday. I'm sure the crowd is going to be just bouncing off the walls, especially because it got moved into the 430 slot. Y'all got moved to the late slot too, right? Yep. Both of us are playing at the same time. Yep. I think they they usually try to do that every year with all the playoff implication games, which is weird because I the Chiefs game got moved to Saturday, I think. But I think that's because Denver is I I don't know. I think it has something to do with Denver being in the mountain mountain maybe mountain time. Well, this is our first week since we've started doing it that we didn't have a an after the snap clutch snap of the week because. There were no game winners. There's no, there were no clutch snaps. It was all clean across the board and all of the tight games across the league were, were touchdown, touchdown scores or two point conversions or whatever. So hate to end it on that note, but uh, maybe we will have one for the last week of the regular season that coming up this week, but let's get into our interview with Zach Sealer. This week on the pod, we've got Zach Sealer joining us. He is a teammate of mine and somebody that I've really enjoyed getting to know. He's also a grade A trash talker when it comes to playing the Buffalo Bills. Can so, confirm. Welcome on the pod, Zach. We are happy to have you. Thank you, man. It's great to be here. Great to be able to sit down and talk with y'all too. It's, uh, excited. What we like to do when we have new guests on is just kind of tell your story. We want um, we want this to be kind of a place where people can learn about their you know favorite athletes and just who who NFL players are as human beings. So we'll start from the very beginning. We know you're from a, a small town, uh, kind of on the outside of Detroit. Yep. Um, you you know played football obviously growing up. Did you play any other sports? Did you what were you involved in? Growing up, I know football was obviously big. Yeah, um, so high school, well, I guess I, I've done football since second grade. Um, and then high school was uh, wrestling. And then uh, I did some track and field, field, not track, shot put, discus, wasn't any good. Just enjoyed, always just enjoyed sports, the camaraderie that comes along with sports. Um, so, yeah, high school really was those three sports. Do you think playing multiple sports helped you – as you continue to play football? Absolutely. Um, I know, I know I would, a lot of guys, especially your position, came from the wrestling background. Usually guys say that that helps, but we, I, I only played football in high school. Blake only played football in high school. Looking back on it, I wish I had played at least something else, maybe baseball or something, because I was pretty good at that growing up. But yeah. I know – We took some we took some boxing lessons in there. Yeah, we, we just some, a little bit. Some boxing. Yeah. But I, I know I know guys <laughs> that play multiple sports. I wanted to get your opinion on how that affects uh, younger kids. Yeah. Um, I'd say especially D-line, O-line. Um, obviously, we're hitting every play. There's pushing and pulling and all that stuff for run moves, pass rush, all that kind of stuff. Um, wrestling is a huge advantage. You know, I tell any, any kid that asks, hey, I'm trying to get better at football. I'm trying to get better at this, especially the D-line, O-line. Uh, wrestling is a huge help, huge benefit. Um it just helps you kind of learn body control and kind of like momentum, leverage, leverage all yeah. that. So Big yeah, that, that wrestling definitely helped me out in my football career and just who I, and how it, and then on top of all that, the mental toughness, I still don't think there's a single sport harder than wrestling. Mono, mono. Yeah. Straight up one-on-one 
no, no excuses. You can't blame anybody else. You can't blame a coach. There's no, no blame game. It's, it's straight up you versus kid or man, whoever you're going against. That's what it is. And it uses every muscle in your body. Was hockey something that was popular where you're from? I know like different areas of the country, it is where we're from. It's, it's not big, but yeah. figured up north it might be. Oh yeah. Hockey was huge. Hockey's big. So we had a snowboarding team or club or something like that. That's all very common where we're from. Hockey's almost more, more, almost equal to football, I would say. Whereas I'm assuming down south, it's football is baseball. everything. Yeah. Baseball. Yeah. As you started playing football who, or before you started playing football, who, who was your inspiration to kind of jump in, into the football world? I'll, I mean, I'll be a little upfront. Jason Taylor was kind of my guy yeah. when I started like fifth, sixth grade. So he, you know, I always wanted to be number 99, but uh, <laughs> that obviously didn't work out. But, um, who, who was your, who was somebody you looked up to and kind of modeled, tried to model your, your game after? Being from Detroit, um, I, I always watched the Lions. Um, I watched I like, there's a lot of guys I like to watch. Um, I like the old guys, the newer guys. Um, I used to watch Dominican Sue growing up when he was in Detroit. I'm sure I went to Detroit games while he was there. Yeah, it had to be, uh, it had to be cool coming full circle and playing against him this year. Have you have you played against him before? Like when you were in in Baltimore? Uh, we did a uh, actually did joint practices in camp oh, with uh, the Rams. I think. Gotcha. And, uh, but he was there still. So yeah, it, it, there's, uh, there's a few players, but yeah, he was definitely one I always followed. It was kind of cool coming to the league and then being going across, not going across, but playing his team. You're kind of coming through high school, Pinckney High School. Is that how yep. you, yep. Pinckney High School, you are getting ready for college recruiting. Tell us what college recruiting was like. It, what did you have exposure? Was your team good? Like, I know, you, I know, uh, Ann Arbor is kind of close to that area yeah. too. So, yeah. um, did that play a factor? Did you think about going to Michigan? Kind of talk, talk us through that. So, uh, my high school was not very good at football when I was there. We, I think my senior year was the first time we broke 500 in like a decade. We had some scouts come through. Um, and when I say scouts, I say D2, D3, NAIA around in Michigan. Um, they would talk me into high school. Here and there, pull you out of class, that kind of thing. Nothing crazy, though. Nothing super interested or calling out or contacting me after. I went to a couple one-day camps between my junior and senior year. Uh, got some interest, but nothing nothing ever came into fruition with that. I ended up walking on at Ferris. Um, I was That's just kind of how it ended up being. I really didn't have any offers. Our family had a cabin. Ferris is about two and a half hours from Pinckney. It's uh, northwestern Michigan of the lower peninsula, um, up by Traverse city, almost, um, North of Grand Rapids, about an hour. Um, so we, I knew the area. I wasn't really I'm a small town kid. I really wasn't a fan of the big cities yet or anything like that. So I kind of wanted to stay with what I knew. And I knew Ferris from growing up there, going up there as a kid, um, we had a hunting cabin up there. My grandparents did. So I chose Ferris for that. And then for my degree, um, they had a good engineering program and had a couple of scholarships through Ferris that I wasn't able to get through other schools to help pay for school, um, especially being a walk-on. Um, but I was something I had to consider going up when I was choosing schools. So that's kind of how I ended up at Ferris, started continuing to play football there. Did you? So did you cross paths with uh, Justin Zimmer? Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, my yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah. He's uh, – t- tell me about Justin playing with him in college. 
He was he was a beast. Um, I actually looked up to him a lot um, my first year or two when he was still there. That was when he was at the end of his career there at Ferris. Um, just his just his uh, mindset and just how he went about football and preparing and the lifting and all that kind of stuff. Um, that kind of I followed in that kind of footsteps, kind of seeing how to be a almost a pro, be a college athlete. Because Ferris didn't have much. We didn't have really. We didn't have a strength coach. We didn't have a nutritionist. We didn't have a dietitian. We didn't have really anything like that. Um, our our weight room had three squat racks, four squat racks, maybe half. Ninety percent of our barbells were bent. Nothing new, rusted plates. So it was. Uh, we loved it, but it was definitely not the best conditions, and it wasn't. So it was really up to the players to find on themselves to find a way and what's going to work for them. Um, there wasn't anyone really kind of sitting there telling you, hey, do this, do that, um, or guiding us as much as maybe some bigger schools had. Um, so I looked up to Justin and a couple of those guys in college, kind of just how to start to be able to be successful. One last thing on the on the Ferris State, I guess, era. So I, I think I remember last year maybe – you tell you talking about your like summer jobs and things you had to do yeah. while you were in college because for you it was it wasn't just football it was mm. like you were working so yeah. talk about yeah. talk about what you were doing outside of football with sort of your engineering plus kind mm. of other stuff yeah so every summer I would go home I'd go back to Bingley I would I'd work I'd have jobs uh, one year I did construction uh, landscaping so I we mowed and did weed whacking and we did. Uh, Little like additional addition projects, roofing stuff like that. One summer was uh, part of my was a paid internship. Um, I needed it for my degree. Um, I was a well tech engineer at uh, Chrysler Stone Stamping in Detroit, where I had about ten to fifteen guys. I managed. We did. Uh, we kept the lines running, and the uh, it was a sub assembly plant for all of Dodge Chrysler Jeep. I think that's that so cool. cool. I think that is so cool. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a very big learning experience. I'd say it was almost a turning point in my life, kind of going from a young adult kid kid to an adult where learning what the real world's like and learning how the real world works. I was working about seventy hours a week, doing about seven to seven days a week for about ten ten weeks straight. I got one weekend off, and it was two weekends off, and it was a twelve week internship, and then uh, I ended up. They ended up liking me a lot. I ended up doing a contract hire with them. So then back in, when I went back to school in the fall, that winter, if I wanted to, like when I went home for that month break for uh, winter break in college, I went there and worked there for like a week or two just to get some extra cash. That world, that plant life and kind of how all that happens and what, how that works was very interesting. Just learning the real world and jobs and what it kind of takes after college. What was the toughest part about being at a D2 school and kind of making the transition to the NFL where you kind of come into having all of these resources? You talked about kind of the lack of at Ferris State, yeah. um, kind of learning how, lear- learning how to deal with that transition. Kind of tell us about how that, how you dealt with that. Yeah. Um, I, I would definitely say it was, uh, so I guess when you don't have something, then it's given to you. You appreciate it more and not saying that people don't appreciate that stuff, but you know, you go from a D2, you're looking at all these big D1 schools. Oh, Hey, these guys are getting this. They get this. They have therapists with this. They get, they're like, they offer this kind of stuff. Um, it was definitely something where I was like, okay, well now I'm here. Like, Hey, don't make me make, make bleh, I'm gonna make the most of this. I'm gonna make 
do whatever I can to do extra rehab therapy, all that kind of stuff. Um, take advantage of that. And then just, just the, we bus everywhere. So that was a big shock to me too, was we had a 12 hour bus ride to Michigan tech, which is the very northernmost point of the upper peninsulas um, every year. So we did 12 hour bus rides, 10 hour bus rides, nine hour bus rides. Then going from that and I'm flying from Baltimore to Pittsburgh. Like I just, that was a big, not shock. It was just definitely something to get used to. It was like, okay, we're just flying everywhere now. The coaching, um, we had great coaches. Um, Ferris just won a national championship uh, this year for D2. But it's just the coaching is just different. It's just a different level. Uh, I mean, it's just it's what it is. Um, and learning the different terminologies and how they, how they teach things and the schemes and stuff like that was something I just had a one of the vets put it the best. I think it was either Brandon Lynch or Mike Pierce when I was in Baltimore. They said, the best thing for a rookie is to be a sponge. You just try to absorb and learn as much as you can from the older guys. And I'd say that goes for a freshman in college as well. It's just trying to learn from the older guys and just take what the successful guys are doing and apply that to your system. Yeah, that's a great – I mean, I've, I've heard that kind of you know, the be a sponge. You know, you yeah. just take in as much as you can mm-hmm. because you never know when you're going to pick up on something that's going to last – you know, it's going to, you know, stay with you kind of through your whole yeah. time. Absolutely. Uh, and you never know who it's going to come from. You never know the situation mm-hmm. you're going to be in. Could be on the sideline during a game, pregame, you know, whatever, yeah. in, a, in a meeting on a Tuesday mm-hmm. or something. Um, so that's a good point. But staying on the same, that transition, as you were, you know, prepping, prepping for that transition, you know, did you, did you guys do uh, pro day? You know, did you hear from scouts coming out of Fair State? You know, mm-hmm. did you get call, getting calls for workouts and stuff like that? approaching the draft how how did that work for you leaving ferris i left after my fifth year or fifth season ferris or d2 there's a 10 semester rule without getting too intricate there's a way you can have six years of football at d2 um you only ever have four years on the field playing but you can have six years on the team and with that i technically had one more year i didn't touch the field my first two years on paper, yes, it says I left early, I guess, when it really, really I'm not. I didn't. I mean, I graduated with my mechanical engineering degree. And so when I left, I had a job offer from GM to do uh, design the underbodies of Suburbans and uh, their Tahoe's and stuff like that. Leaving, I got an agent, found an agent, and uh, there was scouts coming that year with for me. Ended up leaving, signed with my agent, went and trained down in uh, Stone Mountain, Atlanta, where y'all are from. Uh, with Chip Smith, that's my guy. Yeah, I love. That's Chip. where I train. That's where I trained coming out. Is it really? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's see. It would have been the uh, spring of sixteen. Okay. I was over there. I can't remember yeah. some of the guys I was with, but some of the local guys. Yeah. No, I loved it down there. Um, our my agent, he sends all his uh, rookies there or his guys coming out. But yeah, so I went and trained. Um, leading up to the draft combine, I did not get invited, but I got a. The scouts that my agent was talking to and my, between them and my head coach, uh, sending an email or something to, uh, Jim Harbaugh at U of M. I did my pro day at U of M because Ferris doesn't have a pro day. I did my pro day at U of M. And then after that, uh, there's those one day visits or something like that, um, that guys will do. And I did like seven of those. So I was all over this country doing that before the draft. And then obviously the phone calls and the, the stuff like that. How'd you do it yeah. at the Michigan Pro Day? Did you, you felt, were there other 
I mean, there were Michigan guys obviously having their pro day. Were there other D linemen there? Mohurst. And, it was me. Okay. And yeah. Did you? How, how did you? Uh, you felt like you showed out analytically. I mean, I think I, I did very well, especially for some guy from D two um, coming up to the bigger schools. I think I ran like a four seven eight or something like that. I did like thirty one or thirty two on the bench. I can't remember those numbers, but just so I, I I tested out pretty well, and that helped me be able to make that jump because coming from a D2, you really got to be a standout guy to even get a nod just because it's, it's a different level. So, yeah, there's uh, always, I remember always hearing or seeing or going to watch LSU's pro day as I was going through. And there was always a handful of guys locally from mm -hmm. uh, Southern or Southeastern or something. There's always one yeah. or two, two guys coming in and they'd always perform really well. Cause you know, that's, you know, coming coming to a big school like that, I guess it, you know you're you're trying to show out and give your best, and kind of yeah. trying to outperform. Obviously, some of the guys mm -hmm. that were there at the bigger school. So I was curious, kind of that how that worked for you. Yeah, I, I mean, there's there's a lot of good players at D two. Obviously, you play with Zimmer. We have a guy that plays at uh, Houston right now. We have three or four guys around the league right now. It's just not as many, I would say. Like you know, like in in Alabama's or the LSU's. Or there's a Almost everyone's a very, very good caliber football player. But D2, you have – everyone's good. Everyone's it's, – it's competitive. Then you do have those few standouts. And th those guys For sure. are very good athletes still. For sure. You finish up. You get, end up getting drafted to Baltimore. And mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's the – maybe it was the Harbaugh connection. Maybe that was – maybe that was where it – uh, where it came in, but you're in Baltimore and you're immediately tossed into a D line room with some of the best to ever do it. Like, yeah. you, I mean, you and I have talked about some, some Terrell Suggs stories, like just, it, just tell us about playing alongside those guys and just, just learning from those guys. So yeah, Terrell Suggs, Brandon Williams, Michael Pierce, all very, very good, solid players from second. Just learning from them and how they, like I said, this is what I'm saying earlier, just how they went about themselves. But then on the field, just learning from Suggs and what he listened for, what he looked for, what what tips or keys pre-snap that helped him be the player he was, was huge. Um, so I think it was very beneficial for me, especially from a D2 um, smaller school, to be in a D-line room with such uh, high-caliber players um, in Baltimore at a young age. You do what is it? Maybe what was it like a year and a half with with Baltimore? It was end of you, you played eighteen, cut. end of nineteen. You go to Miami. So I was cut out of camp my second year. I cleared waivers, and then Baltimore signed me to practice squad four ish weeks later into the season. I got bumped up to fifty three. So I did a one year deal with Baltimore then, and then again, and then with three four weeks left in the season, that same year I was cut from Baltimore again. And that's when Miami picked me up off the waivers. I came down here. I think my first game here was the Giants. And then it was Giants, Cincy, and the Patriots. Um, and then last year was my first full year here, and now this year. Was that hard going to a new place, like in the middle of the season, and, and having to learn a new defense and a new, you know, meet new coaches and play with a whole new team? Like, was that was that tough? It's not easy, but it's, it's what – it's the reality of this business. You kind of have to be able to adapt like that. Obviously, it's great when you're around guys for a long time. Like, I know how Christian's going to play a block, or I know how Raekwon's going to do it. I know what E-Rob's going to do behind me. 
and going to a new team, you don't know anybody. I mean, you'll see them on tape, you'll kind of see what they are, but the ins and outs and the daily how they are is you got to you got to learn that. It's, just, it's what it is. It's like in a new job, just very abruptly. Uh, the end of 2020, end of last season, you signed an extension with Miami. Obviously, you know, you played well enough to play yourself into an extension. What does that kind of mean, having that chip on your shoulder, leaving Baltimore, and then being able to continue with uh, your new team in Miami? Uh, it was a great feeling just to know that, hey, Miami's here. They're backing me. They like what I've done. Clear whatever I'm doing is is what they is what they want to see on the field. So um, doing that extension and signing that with them, it was great. I mean, I love Miami. The fans here are awesome. The the Florida's great. I love Florida. I lived here before I was down. Like this is where we lived in the off season before while I was still in Baltimore. Um, so then coming down here just was like just that much better. It, it it was nice to have a team backing me and really kind of putting their stamp saying, "Hey, we like this guy. We want this guy to stay around for a while." So let's kind of shift gears a little bit and we'll actually get into the, get into your, your place up in Sebring here in a second. But yeah. um, first I want to ask you about the RV, the infamous um, yeah. RV that, that uh, yep. I think I remember seeing an article about it uh, last year sometime, but you were, you were living out of an RV last season, correct? Yes. Yep. I got an RV going into my second year. So at Baltimore, I got an RV the off season between rookie year and my second year in the league. Um, and then I stayed in that all that second year in Baltimore. And then when I came down to Flo- uh, Florida with those three weeks left, I just stayed at one of those long-term extended state places here. And then after the season, got back to Baltimore, packed it up, drove it down. And then uh, next season, which was last year in, Bal- in Miami, I stayed in that uh, the RV all until the end of that year. And then we uh, found a house last year, and that's where we're at now. But we still have the RV. We still love it. It, it, it definitely served its purpose, and we just, we just we love that ability. So, How, what kind of RV are we talking here? Are we talking Breaking Bad RV, or are we no. talking like uh, I'm saying like size wise? Yeah, it was. Like, are we a, talking uh, like a like a, are we talking like a hunting camp kind of style RV, or are we talking no. like country singer RV, like a like I a, say a step down from like like a, a tour bus Combs or country okay. singer tour okay. bus for sure, a big step. Um, it was used. So I bought it in 19. It was a 2012. Um, I bought it okay. for a family up in Baltimore. Um, it was cause first RV didn't know how it was going to work. It was just an idea we, I had. And I'm like, you know what? Let's start safe. I don't want to go out and buy this because RVs get up to, they're over a hundred thousand dollars for the towables. Yeah. Not even the drivables or the tour buses. Okay. Um, so that it's, it's a fifth wheel. Um, which is okay. The, cool. You back the truck up. It goes in the bed of the truck, kind of like a gooseneck. Um, one of those, it's not a travel trailer, 35 feet long, had queen bed up front, two queen beds in the back garage area. Um, had, it was a toy hauler. So it has a drop down gate in the back. You can pull up motorcycles or four wheelers or side by side, um, stuff like that. And the middle of it was the living room kitchen area. So, okay. So it, it was, it was, uh, it was more than, a, more than just a, a sleeping space. Correct. Yeah. For, yeah, gotcha. Okay. For, for one person, it was yeah. all I would need. Cool. Um, I, my, my fiance is here. We have two dogs and all now. So it's like that would have been tight for continual living. Now for a week sure. or two, it's plenty big enough. It's awesome. I'm a big fan of the, uh, of like a tiny, of the tiny homes. Yeah. Like yeah, I want to yeah. have one of those someday where you just spend like, you know, 40, 50 grand on a nice mm-hmm. tiny home and just have it somewhere. 
Um, just have it, yeah, somewhere you want to go yeah, and just enjoy yourself. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. One of my, well, I guess Reed's and my teammates at LSU is he bought a school bus and completely mm-hmm. renovated the school bus on the inside, took all took all the seats yeah. out and made it into like a an RV type house. And it was, it ended up being pretty cool, but there's, I've seen videos, uh, when they were doing the, all the renovations and stuff I was following along and they were reposting videos from other people who have done that. And there are some immaculate, like, it it is, it is cool what these people can do to make it livable and, and very comfortable inside of a, inside of a vehicle like that. But yeah, it's not, you, you, you don't feel like you're, living off the grid or you don't feel like you're living right. in a tent. It's yeah. you can make it very nice. It's not a, not a Volkswagen bus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, just as we're kind of finishing up. So you, you have obviously the place here in Hollywood or you've sent the RV up to uh, your hunting camp in Sebring. So um, yep. I know that's where you spend your, most of your off season kind of tell us about your, your hobbies. I know hunting and, yeah. Fishing is, is something that you have a real passion for. Yeah. Growing up in a small town, um, we did a lot of hunting growing up. And then coming down to Florida, uh, it's just that much more. There's stuff you're around to do down here outdoors, I feel like, yeah, which is awesome. Going into my third year, no, second year. So the same year, between my rookie and second year, we started Clay Gully Outfitters. My dad and myself down here in, in uh, Sebring, Florida, well, Lurita, but uh, middle of Florida, we got uh, the main piece it's on is 5,000 acres. It's got a 20-person lodge, five, four bedrooms, five bedrooms, and a loft. And we have – it's it's a, just a great spot. We love to go out there and help out in the off-season and help guide or run it or just be with the clients and just enjoy it out there. Um, we do gator hunts, hog hunts, turkeys, deer, you name it, um, exotics. We love it. It's just, it's just a great escape. It's a great getaway, and it's just – it's a good kind of thing for me to have mentally in the off season to kind of keep me busy and keep me moving. So we were talking yesterday, yesterday, two days ago about mm-hmm. the the foundation you guys have started. Yep. Can you share, share a little bit about that with us? Three months ago, four months ago, uh, finally got the 501c3 and we opened up a uh, serious safe haven foundation kind of goes hand in hand with the outdoors. Um, we had a kid named Waylon come and hunt with us at Clegully one time. He's a quadriplegic. Uh, 12 years old. He was paralyzed from the neck down. His dad met us at a trade show we were at up in Michigan and uh, asked, like, hey, would you guys be able to accommodate my son coming out and hunting? And we're like, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? Or what we can try and count anything? He's like, well, he's a quadriplegic. He wants, he loves hunting. Um, so we took him out. We were able to get him. He had got a beautiful gator and some iguanas. He had a little bite plate he did to fire the rifle. It was really cool. And that kind of sparked the idea of from my fiance, myself, and my dad, uh, of what we wanted to do. Um, we were looking to open a foundation, and we wanted to help the youth um, and kids. And so having Waylon out there really kind of brought that all into fruition where, like, you know what, this is what we want to do. So uh Haven Foundation, it kind of looks at bringing kids who normally wouldn't be able to get outdoors or kids that are of all abilities um, that want to get outdoors, but it's more difficult for them. Um, we want to provide that pathway to them to be able to get them outside, be able to get them hunting, or even just going out for a youth retreat weekend, um, boys and girls clubs, or local schools in the Miami area. 
is something we're actually trying to do right now and getting a group of kids out there, um, getting them outside, just, just exploring the outdoors. Um, what it's like to sleep under the stars and just not hear cars when you just go to bed and just hear the noises of nature. Um, I know a lot of kids don't get to do that. For me, it was normal every day. Some people have never, never not seen a street light or some kind of light on at night. Um, so that's kind of what the foundation is looking to do. Um, and we're also looking to do some, uh, trying to work with the, uh, the schools here. Yeah. Very cool. I love yeah. that. And, um, that's awesome. Our last, last real question before we get into a couple of fun questions at the end. Your faith is something that is, mm-hmm. uh, is very big to you. You're in uh, mm-hmm. Bible study with me every week. How has, how has your faith helped you through the ups and downs of football? Everybody has their own kind of journey. Uh, yep. you have, you've obviously had to deal with some adversity through your career. How has, how has your faith helped you to stay grounded through that? Um, it's, I mean, it's been everything. I mean, people ask that and I'll just say the same thing every time. It's everything. Obviously getting cut twice in the same season is pretty low. Just relying on God and that he has a plan. And there's a, there's a bigger picture just to help take that stress off and just be like, you know what? It's in his control. It's out of my hands. I'm going to do what I can do every day. I'm going to set my plans and I'm a planner. I'm going to try and this is what I'm picturing, but you know what? If something changes, it changes. And it's, it's a part of his plan. Um, so I think it's such a, it's a huge help. It's just being able to understand that. And obviously everyone's like, Oh shoot, this didn't happen. I got to this. It's going to end the world, but it's not. So I, that's, that's something that's huge um, in my life. And just with, football and our careers and our lives that's awesome to hear um all right so to end usually to end our interviews we do uh some quick snaps which are just a couple of fun lighthearted mm-hmm. questions so i got two for you first one uh favorite and least favorite uh away stadium to play in favorite away stadium everyone's gonna think of. when i was in baltimore i had the coolest stadium to play in was miami i thought it was just such a cool the hard rock was a cool awesome stadium and now being here that no longer can be an answer. Um, that's, a, so, that's a fair answer. Yeah, it would. It really was. I think it's just so cool. You can come down the highway, you'll see the four pillars, and you can see on the top of the canopy all spread out. And especially at night, it's all lit up orange or blue or whatever. Um, it's so cool. Favorite way stadium now? I think it was – I played in Kansas City a couple of times. That's really cool there. Just the, the experience on the crowd um, is really, really cool. Um, the Caesar Superdome was really cool in New Orleans just these last couple of weeks. And uh, Heinz Field was awesome. Least favorite? I know, I can't tell you that right now. I don't even know. You can just you can just tell them that it's Buffalo. <laughs> I was going to say it's probably Buffalo. We've yeah. had two snappers on. Two we've had about like four or five snappers on, but two of them have said yeah. Buffalo. So, but really? I think they've had some bad weather experience, which is yeah. So I'm from Michigan, though. I, I think it's yeah, fun. Fair. That's I, fair. I, I, I really was hoping we get some snow, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Okay, last question. Uh, what is your perfect? peanut butter and jelly ratio for a sandwich i would like a glass of if i i need to have a glass of whole milk with my okay. sandwich so lots of peanut butter a little bit of jelly. oh okay yeah like 80 20 pb i usually do about 70 30 college when i was trying to gain weight and i was broke college kid i was probably doing an inch of peanut butter on that whole thing okay the whole that's fair so that's yeah. fair holy you're no. in the minority there i think <laughs> i would say that's- so yeah, that's like you know, that's like sticking to the, the top of your mouth. Yeah, that's like sticking to the roof of your mouth. Oh yeah, that's like glass of whole milk with it. And it's great. That's awesome. Well, Zach, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, this Absolutely. has been a blast for me. us. Hopefully, Thank we'll you, get man. you back on at some point. But, ladies and gentlemen, Zach Sealer. Well, 
We want to give a big thanks to Zach for coming on the pod this week. He was awesome. If you want to follow Zach on Instagram, you can follow him at Z Sealer, S I E L E R 95. Uh, we will tag him on our Instagram as well. You can follow him there. He is a great dude, uh, and a great player as well. So we had an awesome time doing that interview with him. And, um, as always, if you want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, you can at after the snap pod. As always, go subscribe to the pod, share with your friends. If you enjoyed it, uh, leave us a rating or a review. This has been After the Snap, tales from two brothers who live life upside down.